Welcome to the Clinician Researcher Podcast, where academic clinicians learn the skills to build their own research program, whether or not they have a mentor. As clinicians, we spend a decade or more as trainees learning to take care of patients. When we finally start our careers, we want to build research programs, but then we find that our years of clinical training did not adequately prepare us to lead a research program. Through no fault of our own, we struggle to find mentors, and when we can't, we quit. However, clinicians hold the keys to the greatest research breakthroughs. For this reason, the Clinician Researcher podcast exists to give academic clinicians the tools to build their own research program, whether or not they have a mentor. Now, introducing your host, Teosi Unwemina. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Clinician Researcher Podcast. I'm your host, Teresi Unwemina. I am excited to be talking with you today, and especially because I have an awesome, awesome guest today. It's Lisa Baumann-Krautziger, and she's going to tell you in a few minutes how to really say her name. But it's a pleasure to have you here on the show, Lisa. Thank you for being here. And I want to invite you, please, to introduce yourself to our audience. Thank you so much for having me. So yes, my name is Lisa Bauman Kreitziger. I kept Bauman for a reason, but since Kreitziger is horribly hard to pronounce. I'm a clinician investigator at Versity Blood Research Institute and the Medical College of Wisconsin in Milwaukee. My clinical work involves benign hematology or classical hematology, and my research is in thrombosis. Thank you, Lisa. You know, you talked about being a clinician investigator or a clinical investigator, and I think there's so many terms that that we can use to describe it. I think sometimes there's a sense of we're, we're, we're clinical scientists, we're clinician scientists, clinician researchers. Is there a specific name you kind of identify with the most? Yeah, I don't know. I try not to get too tripped up with the terminology, to be honest. I probably within the structure that I, I I work in, investigator is is the term, and that what goes through both basic scientists and translational scientists and clinician scientists. So I, I, I do probably prefer the term clinician investigator because it then speaks to both what I study as well as then puts me in the same sort of structure that other areas of research are within our institute. Sure, sure. Thank you for clarifying that. Now, let me ask you about the defining moment, if there was one, or maybe the series of defining moments at which you felt like, yeah, you know what, I'm not just a clinician, I'm a clinician investigator. Yeah, I thought this question was really interesting, because I actually came to medicine in the opposite direction. So I always through um, high school and into college, knew I was going to be doing biology and doing research. And probably my defining moment was when I was doing an internship and half of my time I spent it in the lab doing laboratory investigation and half of my time then I was able to shadow a a clinician. And it was a very gut response to the days that I got to go in and see patients and and really was showed me that I that I wanted to be a clinician as well. 
And so I probably always knew I was going to be doing research and, and added the clinical piece to it. Throughout my career, I've, I've gone back and forth between doing laboratory-based investigations and doing clinical investigations. And I, I think that's helpful for me to then understand both rounds in order to bridge that gap a little bit better. When I'm seeing a patient, it's helpful for me to be able to say, well, we don't have the answer to that question, but we are looking at, we are looking into it in this way or that way, or say, you know what, that's a great question. I'm going to add that to my list of, of things we don't know and things we probably need to look into. And then on the opposite side, when I'm, you know, doing and looking at, when I'm either looking at grants or thinking about projects, I need to really focus that in on what's important to the to the patient in front of me, because there are so many things that you could do and really trying to anchor the research projects and the time spent on things that are really going to help patients. So it kind of goes both ways for me. Sure, sure. And that's really unique, at least I think from my perspective, Lisa, I think many, many people come in from the perspective of I've been doing patient care for so long and now I want to do research. And that can be hard because they they haven't actually even ever done anything in research at all. And so, but for you, it sounds like you've kind of grown both perspectives at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm wondering how has that been an advantage to you? Yeah, I think the biggest things is trying to, as I mentioned, bridge that gap because there aren't a lot of people that understand both laboratory-based investigations and clinically-based investigations. So able to look at, for example, studies that are looking at biomarkers in clinical diseases well, most of the time that those are laboratory-based investigations and trying to understand understand the techniques and the pluses and minuses of it. And from the opposite way, so, you know, we have multiple investigators that are, are studying different pieces of uh, their either structure, their protein of choice or whatever else from a laboratory perspective and trying to give them and see where we might be able to translate that and trying to set up the laboratory-based investigations to answer the ways that we can potentially translate that to human and, and patient care. So I think that is a, a distinct advantage. Um, it leads to a lot of difficulty in trying to understand or pick what, like, what am I going to go see when at an annual meeting? Or what am I going to do in terms of where my focus is going to be for you know, what journals do I, do I read? What's, you know, you know, what should I review? What projects am I going to be involved in? When you're kind of straddling both, it, it can be a little challenging from that perspective. Sure. What I hear is that you are, your work is translational and you're also in a sense an interpreter. So you're translating between the clinicians and the lab investigators to a great extent as well, just even in terms of interpreting what studies need to be done not just even in terms of what 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 the studies are that you're doing, but in even communicating, I think, between groups. Is that fair to say? Yeah, actually, that's a great way to that's a great way to sort of think about it. I think about it also in terms of like translating things to our patients, right? So we do that mm. as a clinician every day, translating, you know, classical hematology to 
other other areas of medicine. So I think maybe maybe that's just a way for for me to sort of frame who I am. I'm a translator of of sure. knowledge. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, tell us what what has been the biggest challenge for you in this journey? Yeah, I think there have been there've been several. I I think one of the big things is when I when I started my research career, I was focusing on device related thrombosis, and that was really in mostly mechanical circulatory support. And my first grant was in that as a pilot study, and very shortly after I received that pilot study, my surgeons left. Therefore, the entire mechanical circulatory support program fell apart. And so the big lesson for me with that is that it's very difficult to study as well as to put your career in others' hands. You know, I I was able to make some continued progress with that, with that group by reaching out to other surgeons and other programs. And, and it is an area that I'm still very interested in, but it definitely is a major challenge when you don't, you know, the patients aren't primarily yours. And I think we we have that in classical hematology in many aspects, especially in thrombosis. So any of our work in cancer associated thrombosis, you know, our, our oncologists, their primary, their primary patients are theirs. So it's, it in a lot of ways it's ensured that I had honed my skills in collaboration, but it does make things definitely challenging when you don't own, you know, like the, the patients aren't primarily yours. Doran, thank you for sharing that perspective. And it, I feel like I heard two things that, that really, really stood out to me. One is just how strong you've become through that process of forming multiple, not just one or two. But it sounds like multiple collaborations to move your work forward. In a sense, I look at it as like you're diversifying your portfolio. It's like, well, if one thing fails, other things move forward. But the other piece that really I think resonated with me is that putting your career or putting your research in one person's hands or in a group, one group's hands. And I just wonder, other than the collaborations, how else have you have you done that? Or how? what would you recommend to someone else who is in a similar situation, but maybe their surgeons haven't left and they're feeling happy that things are going well? Yeah, I mean, there's a fine balance here. You know, I definitely agree that you, you need to diversify your portfolio in terms of projects that are going on or other areas because not every, I, I promise you, only a very few limited amounts, a number of your grants are going to be funded. That's just the reality. And you you don't know what's going to necessarily stick. So, or what's, you know, what hurdles you're going to have in one project versus another. And so definitely having potentially a couple of different areas that you are working through and, and having projects at different stages also helps a lot. And that's obviously hard when you're at the beginning part of your career, when everything is just beginning. But it, it hopefully, you know, potentially through a mentor, you could come into a project that's already ongoing. So you can, again, try to not only diversify in topics, but diversify in stages of where a, a project is. And the other thing is to probably have more than one mentor 
or more than one sort of group that you're working on. You know, there's definitely people change institutions, as I had mentioned, happened to me, but also mentors leave and other clinical collaborators leave. And I think it's then important to that that doesn't completely derail everything that you are, are currently working on. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention in terms of collaboration is at the same time that that happened to me with my my mechanical circulatory support research floundering, for lack of a better way to say it, the other thing that happened right at that time was the opportunity to form the clinical research network that I run now called Venus. So that was back in 2016. And it was a bit serendipity, which a lot of times plays into good things that the Canadian group was BTE researchers called CanVector. They were, they had received grants funding to actually form an international network. And as a piece of that, they were looking for U.S.-based researchers to really formalize a U.S. network. And so that really was a great opportunity and, and has has really led a vast majority of my research since that time. And so the other kind of thing, message to send is that, you know, when one area, the other benefit of diversifying is when one area is not going well, sometimes other things come along. Um, and, and you have to be open to that as well, because you don't necessarily know where, where each of the things are going to lead. That's really, really, really well said, Lisa. Thank you for, for sharing that. What I see is someone who's leading their career. It's like, yes, other things may not be working in this area, but because I'm leading, I'm going to move to this area that's working well. And I think that even as a young person starting in the field, you are leading in terms of you're the one saying, okay, I'm going to work with this mentor. I'm going to try to work with this group. And in a sense, you, as as you're leading yourself, then you put yourself in great positions to be ready for opportunity when it comes. And so you speak of being lucky. I, and I think of you as someone who kind of just had done a lot of the right things and was in the right place to recognize an opportunity when it came and you were ready to run with it as well. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, you have to put yourself out there, but you have to also be willing to do it and put the hard work in. Like, you know, when we started, when we started the Venus organization, no one was, it wasn't being covered by anything in my, in my career. I didn't get a point, whatever FTE to run Venus. It was, it was my own volunteer time and it was a lot of work. And we then got a lot of fantastic help from a lot of other organizations that really helped us get the, get the group off the ground. And so it, it it's both, right? It's having the confidence and being willing, willing to put yourself out there, taking the opportunities when they do come, and then putting in the hard work and and making sure that it is something that you are proud to be a part of. Lisa, you've spoken of hard work. <laughs> you've spoken of collaborators leaving, things not working. This is a hard journey you're describing. And I'm wondering what's kept you in the game? I think part of it is just, again, the desire to always know more. I think it's the trying to take care of our patients better and really answer the questions that they and we have, but we don't know yet. 
And so I think that is the biggest thing that, that drives me. I mean, I see how much we've been able to improve patient care, even in, in my career. And, and I'm hopeful and, and want to be involved in the next steps of all of that. Because in the end, that's where, you know, as a, as a doctor, my, my role is to, to make patients better. And, and by doing research, I see that as ability to forward their care as well. That's really, that's really amazing. What I hear in that is someone who's not satisfied with the status quo. Yes, we're taking great care of patients, great, great care of patients, but how can we do that better? And seeing research as an opportunity to actually improve the care of patients currently, and in fact, being rewarded by you seeing some of the research you're doing come to be able to be used clinically to help patients get be better. Absolutely. That's the, that's the coolest thing to be able to do. That is very cool. That is very cool. And I'm so appreciative of you coming and sharing all this insight with us. And we're kind of rounding up and getting to the, the end of the show. And I wanted to ask you if you had one word or one piece of advice that you wanted to share with a young person who's just getting started and wondering, okay, maybe I should just focus on clinical care to the best of my knowledge, even though they really want to do research. What would you share with them? What advice would you give them? I would suggest to stick with it. I think that it does seem daunting when you first start. And hopefully people are better at sharing the ups and downs, especially people who have been successful in their careers. But just know that it is it is definitely worth it. And being able to then take what you're learning and, and translate that into patient care is incredibly rewarding. So stick with it. You don't, even if you don't make the research your 80% of what you do every day, that's okay. Even if you only, you know, make it a quarter of what you do or half of what you do, and then you get to decide whether you know, that's enrolling people in clinical trials, whether that's designing trials, whether that's doing retrospective, you know, reviews. I think there's, and that's what we've really tried to do with the Venus Network is we have people who are involved at all of those stages. Um, you know, we have people who are leading the projects. We have people who just, who participate in the projects, which is absolutely essential. So, you, you don't have to have a master's in clinical research in order to participate in clinical research. If you want to design the trials, go get your master's in clinical research because it definitely will help you in, in not only face validity of, of being able to design them, but also the underlying knowledge of how to do it. So there are lots of ways that you can participate in research and you can then make that as large or as small of a, a part of your career. That's super awesome. Thank you, Lisa. I hear you saying the sky is the limit. What do you really want to do? And that's what you should go for because it does give you the most satisfying, fulfilling career to be doing things that are meaningful to you. And there are many opportunities to participate in research in different ways and with different people. And yeah, that's definitely something that if you are listening today, you should you should pay attention to. Don't think you can't do it. Don't give up before you start. You've done many hard things. You've come through medical school, come through residency, 
maybe going through fellowship or have finished fellowship, but you've done a lot of hard things. So hard things are 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 are, are not easy to do, but you've been doing them. And so even though it can be hard to succeed in research, you you can, and it's definitely worth sticking with it because it's very fulfilling and very rewarding, as Lisa has shared with us today. Lisa, I just want to say thank you for being with us here on the show today, for sharing your insights, and just for being an all-around inspiration. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for those kind words, and thank you so much for having me. It's great to see you. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay, everyone. So you've heard Lisa. Keep going. Keep working at it. And if you need a piece of encouragement, if you need just just to keep um, being encouraged along the journey, which can be hard, definitely reach out to us. Sign up for our weekly newsletter, docsleadresearch.com. And we'll be happy to just keep you engaged and keep you thinking about different ways to succeed in, in research. All right. This is the end of today's show. It's been a pleasure hanging out with you. And I look forward to seeing you again next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Clinician Researcher Podcast, where academic clinicians learn the skills to build their own research program, whether or not they have a mentor. If you found the information in this episode to be helpful, don't keep it all to yourself. Someone else needs to hear it. So take a minute right now and share it. As you share this episode, you become part of our mission to help launch a new generation of clinician researchers who make transformative discoveries that change the way we do.